before we get into our study this morning, let's have a real short prayer here together so that God can direct us to the truth. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much for the Sabbath and for this opportunity to study your holy word. I humbly ask that you give each of us the Holy Spirit, that we may discern the truth. And as we talk about uh, the Great Commission, your marching orders, I pray that you give me the words to speak, that hearts will be open, and that we will take this commission and by your grace and truth and power, uh, do the work that you've asked us to do. We humbly ask this favor in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this particular message, uh, Marching Orders. We've been talking about um, the purpose of the church, why it was organized, uh, what is our mission, those, th- those you know, th- theme, that theme, uh, those uh, studies along that line. Um, and this is talking about uh, the marching orders as given to an army. Do you, do you remember... It's been three or four years ago, I think. Uh, you remember the rescue of those trapped miners in the country of Chile? It happened a few years ago. I think it was around 2010. I think it was in August, actually, 2010. It was very amazing. It's an amazing story of how these men were rescued after 69 days being trapped in that mine. And those men... They really had little hope of being found, friends. They were trapped over 2,000 feet from the surface. And it was going to take, actually, it was going to take a miracle to save them. So, I mean, you imagine, if they had any hope, it was very little hope, wasn't it? First, they had to be found. And that took days. And then a lifeline had to be established. You know, a a way had to be made to reach them that had never been done before. They had to find or fabricate equipment that could do the work needed to to reach these men, to drill through the surface to reach them. First with oxygen, you know, and this took days to accomplish. But first they had to reach them with oxygen, then they then water because of the dehydration, and then and then supplies to sustain them. A rescue capsule had to be designed that would handle that mission of rescuing these men. And all of this was done. It was accomplished, and every miner, all thirty three, rode that life saving capsule to the surface. It was no more than I think two feet. Two feet in diameter, a little over two feet in diameter that uh, fit in within that hole that was drilled down to these men. One of the miners said that there was actually 34 in the mine because God was with them. And as I think back upon that, I think there are some real spiritual lessons that can be drawn from this miracle event. And it really was a miracle, friends. When sin entered our world, we became trapped, kind of like those miners were, with no hope, with no way out. Then a lifeline was established that brought light and brought hope to us. It brought uh, the everlasting water. It brought the bread of life to us. God commissioned a rescue capsule, you could say, to earth, whose name was Jesus, and He came to save 
each of us. If we believe and obey our rescuer by faith, we can ride to heaven with him and live eternally, friends. Isn't that wonderful? Or once there was no hope and we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but now we're forgiven and can live eternally? Truly the miracle of miracles, this gift God has given to us, Jesus becoming human to save humanity. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, Peter says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Beloved, you know, the the presentation of Christ as the redeeming lamb That was not an emergency plan introduced to meet an unforeseen change of circumstances. But it was part of God's eternal purpose. That God had had come together and made plans well before the foundation of the world. In 1 John 4 and verse 9, John says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Some people get screwed up on that word begotten. They put their own definitions upon it. It basically means unique. His unique Son. From the days of eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ was one with the Father. But he chose to give back the scepter into the Father's hands and to step down from the throne of the universe in order that he might dwell among us, friends, and make us familiar with his character, his divine character, and his his life. Think about that. The two natures, the divine and the human, they were mysteriously blended into one person. (laughs) It's amazing. Divinity was clothed with humanity. It was not exchanged for it. I mean, in no sense did Christ cease to be God when He became man. The two natures became closely and inseparably one, yet each actually did remain distinct. Jesus had said one time, He said, I lay down my life and I can lift it up again. That was His God nature. You see, he could have done that. The human nature was not changed into the divine nature, nor was the divine nature changed into the human nature. It was combined. Ellen White says, Christ assumed the liabilities of human nature. He assumed the liabilities of human nature. But his humanity was nevertheless perfect. 
Although as a man he could have sinned, no taint of corruption rested upon him. He had no propensity toward sin, we are told. He was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 Talk about miracles, friends. Miracle. Miracles of miracles. God sent His only begotten Son into the world. The sending was not that of a a father ordering a son to undertake a difficult mission. Oh, friends, Christ's sacrifice was voluntary. He gladly undertook to become man and to die for us because He loves us. And this was His commission from the Father. He gladly received His marching orders from the Father. Like I said, not as as an order from a general necessarily, but because they both loved us. God loves us so much. And the Bible tells us, God so loved the world that He gave. From the Southern Missionary, June 1, 1904, Christ declared, As the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. In order that His Father might be glorified through the Son, Christ did what His Father had commissioned Him to do. He'd commissioned Him. What what does that mean? You know, God has an organized army. We've discovered that, right? That's the church. The church militant. There's a reason why the word militant is used. It doesn't mean, you know, uh, as armies of the world... It means that we are in a battle. And God has an organized army to fight in this great controversy with the devil. And the leader of this army, Jesus, was commissioned by his father for this battle. So what does commission mean? Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 edition, the definition of commission is, first, the act of committing, doing, performing, or perpetrating as the commission of a crime. Well, it wasn't a crime that Jesus committed, was it? The second thing says, the act of committing or sending to. That's interesting, isn't it? The act of entrusting as a charge or duty. Hence, the third thing, the thing committed, entrusted or delivered. Letters patent or any writing from proper authority given to a person as his warrant for exercising certain powers or the performance of any duty whether civil, ecclesiastical, or military. Hence, charge, order, mandate, authority given. So what does commission mean? It means the act of performing. The act of committing or sending to. Entrusting as a charge or a duty. The Father commissioned Jesus to come here to do His will, to save us. In Revelation chapter 12, it speaks about war, doesn't it? It talks about this great controversy. Beginning with verse 7, it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. Who is that dragon? 
John says, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And we know that Michael, there's is a, another name for Jesus. So we see in these scriptures that there's a conflict between God and Satan. Between God's angels and Satan's angels. There is the Lord's army and there's the devil's army. Isn't that true? Does anyone here want to be a member of Satan's army? I don't think so. But by not making a choice, you've made a choice, haven't you? And if not on the Lord's side, you are on Satan's side and a member of his army. So this is a serious matter to contemplate, isn't it, my friends? God showers us with mercy, but the day is coming when his mercy will be withdrawn. Whose side do you want to be on, particularly on that day? We've discovered in our studies that the body of Christ must be identified. We went through that process. It must be organized. We went through those studies. It must be trained for its purpose. That's what we're talking about. And when you finish boot camp in the United States military, what happens then? Well, you receive what they call your commission. And as you gain military experience, you may be, at times, individually promoted. You may eventually become a commissioned officer and be awarded a certificate to let all know that you've been recognized and and authorized to serve in that capacity. And beloved, when our general spiritual training in the school of Christ is completed, it is time to receive our commission. And I'm talking about our general training. Because in the Lord's army, you don't get promoted per se, but you may receive more responsibilities in serving the flock of God. And with those responsibilities comes more gifts of the Spirit to help you accomplish those added responsibilities, and we've talked about that before. You don't receive a a certificate of authority, but instead you're commissioned individually by the laying on of hands by the elders of the church, letting all know that your calling is recognized and authorized by the church body. And just as we see in today's military, there is a a, a general commission and a, a specific commission pertaining to individuals in the Lord's army. And what I want to do now, I, I want to take a look at the general or great commission for each member of the body of Christ. I want to look at what I call our marching orders. Our marching orders. I mean, we join the Lord's army. What does the Lord want us to do? What are our orders? When Christ was crucified, the disciples did not believe that He would rise from the dead. Do you know that? That's what the Bible tells us. He told them that He was to rise on the third day. We read that in the Gospels, don't we? But they didn't understand what He meant. And this lack of understanding, it left them in utter hopelessness at the time of his death. They were bitterly disappointed. Bitterly disappointed. 
and crushed by despondency and grief and despair, the disciples met together in the upper room. And they closed and fastened the doors, fearing that the fate of Jesus might be their own. (coughs) And it was in this room that the Savior, after His resurrection, appeared to them. And I want to pick up that story in Luke chapter 24. We're going to spend some time in Luke 24. So if you take your Bibles, let's go there. Now I move on to verse 13. And it says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. That's 60 furlongs. A score is 20. Three score would be 60. And so it was 60 furlongs, and that's about eight miles. So this town of Emmaus, this village called Emmaus, was about eight miles from Jerusalem. And so two of these disciples, they're on their way uh, to Emmaus. In verse 14 it says, And they talked together of these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. That's very interesting. I've heard some... Some people try to define what that means, the Holden, but they, they were weary. And they were so absorbed with their own gloomy thoughts that they didn't observe Jesus closely as he joined them. Have you ever done that? You're talking and so intensely with someone, and you may be walking along, and somebody may be walking with you, and you just don't pay any attention to that because you're so engrossed in your conversation. I mean, if you think about it, those were the same kind of circumstances that had apparently prevented Mary from recognizing Jesus at first, earlier that same day, as a matter of fact. Yeah. You know. In some of the post-resurrection appearances, it seems that Jesus was instantly recognized, doesn't it? While in others, He wasn't. So it's very interesting. But the words of Luke here, and in verse 31, imply in this case a a supernatural type of dimming of the senses of the two disciples in addition to their self-preoccupation with those events, the recent events of the crucifixion. Verse 17. So Jesus is walking along with them, right? They don't recognize Him. Verse 17 says, And He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? Are you serious? He's saying, You don't know what's happened, what's going on? He was kind of astonished by that, wasn't he? And so then Jesus responds. He said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. 
I find it interesting that these two disciples, they know the facts. And they place the blame actually where it does belong. They don't blame the common people, do they? Those people had accepted Jesus as a prophet. Nor do they blame the Roman authorities accountable for the death of Jesus. No, friends. The death of Jesus was the work of the leaders of the Jewish nation, and they recognized that. Going on, verse 21, But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. What are they saying by that? We trusted that He was the Messiah. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yeah, and a certain woman, excuse me, yay, well, yay, and, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. So what are we getting now by, from these two disciples? They're, they're expressing their own convictions, aren't they? They had accepted Jesus as a prophet and later came to believe in him as more than a prophet. It had been a settled conviction with them. But their faith had been greatly shaken because they didn't understand the scriptures concerning the Messiah. And they now imply that they must have been mistaken, you see, in their former belief. Do we do that sometimes? But as they were talking, their, their, the seriousness of what they were talking about, their, their discussion reveals that they had not entirely abandoned hope, especially in view of the astonishing reports of the women who claimed to have seen Jesus. But so far, as the two disciples were concerned, it was, it was all hearsay evidence from these women, and, and they were not yet convinced. And here Jesus is walking with them, and they don't recognize him. They're under kind of a spiritual stupor, of grief and disappointment. The reports had disturbed but not convinced them that Jesus was alive, you see. In verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory? I think that probably got their attention, don't you? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So as they're walking along to Emmaus, Jesus begins and he shares with them the prophecies in the scriptures concerning the Messiah. So he could have given them opinions. He could have told them what he thought about things. But what did he do? Just as when the devil tempted him in the desert, Jesus said it is written. He went to Moses and the prophets and he shared with them all the scriptures concerning the Messiah. And they drew nigh into the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, you know, they had a meal, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. You know, Jesus might have revealed Himself immediately to those disciples. You know, when He met them on the road. But I think had He done that, they might have been so elated (laughs) to see Him and not really appreciate fully or remember the important truths that Jesus was about to share with them. Sometimes we get in such situations, we become so happy that we forget about things, don't we? But you see, it was essential for them to understand the prophecies concerning the Messiah, together with the the historical incidents and and sacred rites that pointed forward to, to the Messiah, to the Christ. These truths alone could provide a firm foundation for their faith. A supposed faith in Christ that's not firmly rooted in the teaching of the Scriptures, friends, cannot possibly remain steadfast when the storms of doubt blow upon us and they were they were dealing with doubt we had believed he was the one but we're not so sure anymore verse 32 and they said one to another did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Our heart burned. They were glued to his words. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, traipsing another eight hours, or excuse me, eight miles, not eight hours, eight miles back to Jerusalem. They wanted to tell of what they had seen. And they found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of the bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. What was it that brought these two disciples out of their emotional stupor? It was the testimony of Jesus as he expounded the prophecies concerning the Messiah. We see that the disciples, they they still had some general training that was required before they could be commissioned. They still need to have a right understanding of these prophecies, didn't they? He shared with them. And now they could see. Right? They were blinded to Jesus before, but as He opened up the prophecies of the Messiah and they connected them with the current events, the events of history, they understood. Their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. And here... As they're sharing this news with the rest of the disciples, Jesus comes in among them. And as His custom, as you read in the Gospels, said, Peace be unto you. 
How long did Jesus remain with them before ascending to heaven? In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So for forty days, Christ remained on the earth. He was still preparing the disciples for the work that, that they had been unable to completely understand before. He spoke of the prophecies concerning His advent, His rejection by the Jews, and His death, showing that these prophecies had been fulfilled. He told them that they were to take this fulfillment of prophecy as an assurance of the power that would attend them in their work for Him. I'll share this with you. It's from the book, The Acts of the Apostles. Page 27. The Acts of the Apostles, page 27. During these days that Christ spent with His disciples, notice what she says here. She says they gained a new experience. As they heard their beloved Master explaining the Scriptures in the light of all that had happened, their faith in Him was fully established. That's interesting, isn't it? They gained a new experience as he explained these prophecies, these scriptures, in light of everything that had happened up to his death and his resurrection. Then their faith in him was what? Fully established. They reached the place where they could say, I know whom I have believed. They began to realize the nature and extent of their work to see that they were to proclaim to the world the truths entrusted to them. The events of Christ's life, His death and resurrection, the prophecies pointing to these events, the mysteries of the plan of salvation, the power of Jesus for the remission of sins. To all these things they had been witnesses, and they were to make them known to the world. They were to proclaim the gospel of peace and salvation through repentance and the power of the Savior. These men, these men were with Jesus for three and a half years. And it took the cross and His resurrection to finally break down what was left of the wall of partition that confused them about His commission. Remember the commission the Father had given Him? And as Jesus was with them for those 40 days, they remembered what He had taught them before His death. It came to mind like pieces of a puzzle. They remembered the commission that He had set before them in many different ways and on so many different occasions. Like Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. Mark 16, verse 15 and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Matthew 5, verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 
neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. These are the things that they were beginning to see that Jesus had been teaching them all along. They recalled Isaiah 58, verse 6, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not the, to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? As Jesus spoke to these men about the commission, they remembered these scriptures, began to pop into their mind. And as they were putting these puzzle pieces together, it began to click. They remembered what Jesus said, Matthew 25. Verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was what? I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. They began to recall the words of Christ. Before Jesus left them. He said to them in Matthew 28, 19, verses 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Whatsoever things He has commanded. He taught us about the true character of God. He taught us about love, what true love is. He taught us about the Father. And He gave us a promise. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Back to Acts of the Apostles, page 28. Before ascending to heaven, Christ gave His disciples their commission. He told them that they were to be the executors of the will in which He bequeathed to the world the treasures of eternal life. You have been witnesses of my life of sacrifice in behalf of the world, He said to them. You have chosen my labors for Israel, or you have seen my labors for Israel, excuse me. And although my people would not come to me that they might have life. Although priests and rulers have done unto me as they listed, although they have rejected me, they shall 
have still another opportunity of accepting the Son of God. And what he means is by their testimony. You have seen that all who come to me confessing their sins, I freely receive. Him that cometh to me I will no, in no wise cast out. To you, my disciples, I commit this message of mercy. It is to be given to both Jews and Gentiles, to Israel first and then to all nations, tongues, and peoples. All who believe are to be gathered into one church. The Gospel Commission is the great missionary charter of Christ's kingdom. The disciples were to work earnestly for souls, giving to all the invitation of mercy. They were not to wait for the people to come to them. They were to go to the people with their message. Think about that, friends. Because this is the commission for all who take the name Christian. And with each passing generation, this commission still stands. It stands for us today. How do we react to the commission? Is Jesus alive in our hearts? What shall we do with Jesus? <laughs> Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, he said, For the love of Christ constraineth us. That means it pushes us. It encourages us. It lifts us up. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Excuse me. <coughs> I don't know. Maybe. You have to check. Let me share this with you. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 130. God's messengers are commissioned to take up the very work that Christ did while on this earth. They are to give themselves to every line of ministry that He carried on. With earnestness and sincerity, they are to tell men of the unsearchable riches and the immortal treasure of heaven. So we're commissioned, friends, to do what? To give ourselves up to every line of ministry that He carried. Now, you've heard me say, and I said this earlier this morning, truth is progressive. So it's progressive for each individual as well as the church. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.12, he said, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the what? The present truth. Present truth. So when we've been commissioned... We're commissioned to, to give ourselves to every line of ministry that Jesus carried forward. Is our mission to, to tell the world about a, a soon coming flood? Are we building an ark? No, that was Noah's present truth, wasn't it? What is present truth? In early writings, page 63, Ellen White says, there are many precious truths contained in the Word of God, but it is present truth that the flock needs now. Well, what is that present truth? 
from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 716. She says, Let the watchmen now lift up their voice and give the message which is present truth for this time. Let us show the people where we are in prophetic history. So friends, we need to understand prophecy then, don't we? And we need to understand where we are in history. And how we know that is by understanding the prophecies. says we are to give the message which is present truth for this time well where are we in prophetical history we have been entrusted beloved to give the most solemn message ever ever entrusted to mortal man the three angels messages of revelation chapter 14 are the the last messages of mercy from God to this world to proclaim these messages is our commission, for they are our present truth. And they have been for a number of years. This because this is where we are in prophetic history. We're right at the verge of the second coming of Jesus. But there are some things that need to happen. There are some things in prophecy that have not yet been fulfilled, but we're very close, aren't we? In Revelation chapter 1. In verse 1. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is what? At hand. Beloved, I'll tell you right now, the time is at hand. What are we going to do with our marching orders? Are we going to obey or are we going to disregard? From Manuscript Releases, Volume 19, page 41. The light that Christ revealed to His servant, the prophet, is for us. In His revelation are given the three angels' messages and a description of the angel that was to come down from heaven with great power. That's Revelation 8, 18. Lightning, lightning the, world, the earth with His glory. In it are warnings against the wickedness that would exist in the last days and against the mark of the beast. We are not only to read and understand this message, but to proclaim it with no uncertain sound to the world. That's our present truth. That's our message to the world. To prepare a people to receive the seal of God. To save them from receiving the mark of the beast. That's our mission. How can you carry it out? 
if you don't proclaim the truth. And part of proclaiming these messages is to identify Babylon, spiritual Babylon, and call God's people out of her. That's part of it, isn't it? In Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 14, it's, it's remarkable. It says, Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about. All ye that bend the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows, for she hath sinned against the Lord. Beloved, to stand for truth has never been popular. <laughs> and it will take tremendous courage. It takes courage to be a Christian. It takes courage to stand for what's right. It takes courage to stand up for Jesus. But you see, that courage comes from Jesus. And it'll take tremendous courage and strength to put ourselves in array against Babylon. As Jeremiah said, shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she hath sinned against the Lord. The commission we have, that we've been given, will not be an easy one. We have a very intelligent and powerful enemy that does not want us to succeed. doesn't want us to succeed in obeying our Lord and our Savior. He doesn't want us to succeed in pointing out who He really is. letting the world know that there is hope only in Jesus Christ. To carry out our commission means His destruction. And so He's marshalling His army against us. And this has been the case since the fall of man, beloved. The Lord stated such in the garden when He said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God will put a hatred in our hearts for sin and for all unrighteousness if we let Him. In our commission... will destroy the works of darkness and save souls. Back to the book Acts of the Apostles, page 29. Christ did not tell His disciples that their work would be easy. He showed them the vast confederacy of evil arrayed against them. They would have to fight against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But they would not be left to fight alone. He assured them that He would be with them. And if they would go forth in faith, they should move under the shield of omnipotence. Sounds like what we talked about in Sabbath school today, doesn't it? If we go forth in faith, we will move under the shield of omnipotence. All power. All powerful and mighty God. He bade them be brave and strong for one mightier than angels would be in their ranks. 
the general of the armies of heaven. And I like this. He made full provision for the prosecution of their work and took upon himself the responsibility of its success. Friends, that's something we need to remember. God doesn't ask us to do something that He doesn't provide the ability and the necessities for us to accomplish. He made full provision for the prosecution of their work and He took upon Himself the responsibility of its success. Let that sink in. And then she says, So long as they obeyed His word and worked in connection with Him, they could not fail. They could not fail. Our Lord and Savior has given us our commission, and we must be brave and strong in fulfilling it. It'll not be easy, but Jesus has promised to give us the power to finish this work. Jesus has promised. Before ascending to heaven, Jesus gave the disciples an assurance that they will be able to do the work entrusted to them. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, He said, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're going to receive power of the Holy Ghost. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There is a preparatory of the heart that must be done before we can receive such power. Before service of the Lord can be acceptable and accomplished. There is a preparation that must be made. A preparation of the heart. David understood this. That's why... We read the words of Psalms 51. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. David recognized that we, we must be prepared. We must be clean when we come into the presence of the Lord to do God's work. So Psalms 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. There is a preparation that must be made before we can fulfill the commission that God has given to us. Who claim to be his people. Our hearts must be clean. We must be of a right spirit. We must be full of the Holy Ghost. And then we can teach all nations all that Jesus has commanded us. Making disciples. From the book in Heavenly Places, page 317. It's a devotional book.
Notice this. We have only a little longer time in which to prepare for eternity. The whole body of believers needs to be vitalized by the Holy Spirit of God. We should study, plan, economize, and set in operation every means possible whereby we may reach and bless suffering and ignorant humanity. You see what she covers there? We should study, right? But not just study. We should plan, but not just plan. We should economize. What does that mean? Get rid of those things that aren't fulfilling the commission that's been given to us. Right? We should economize and set in operation. So we should study, plan, economize, and set in operation, she's saying, every means possible. Pull out all the stops, friends. Think big. Don't think small. We serve a mighty God who takes the responsibility of the work. Set in operation every means possible whereby we may reach and bless suffering and ignorant humanity. The light which God has given to us as a people is not given that we may treasure it among ourselves. Church isn't just a a social club that we go to, to to feel good. The church is organized for service. We are to act in harmony, she says, with the great commission given to every disciple of Christ to carry to all the world the light of truth. One more. Signs of the Times, September 22, 1887. If every member of the church would work in any place suited to his capacity, much more might be done to carry out the great commission given by our Master. More extensive plans would be devised to reach our fellow men. Did you catch that? More extensive plans would be devised. Thinking big. Christ is searching the life and character for fruit and he finds many professed Christians like the barren fig tree bearing nothing but leaves. Some may say, I do not know of anything that I can do in the work of God. I am willing to work, but what can I do? To such we would say, Go to God. He will teach you. He who prays successfully will labor tirelessly for the salvation of souls. Well, we talked about the principles of prayer. We want to pray successfully, don't we, beloved? If you don't know what to do, go to God, she said, and He will teach you. And pray. Friends, there are people out there that need to know the love of Jesus. And the salvation that only He can give. They are trapped like those Chilean miners. And we've been commissioned to help in their rescue. Do not shy away from the call, beloved. Do not shy away. As Paul said, Acts 13.47, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be 
a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Let us choose right now to let the light of Christ shine through us and reach those souls before it's too late. Before it's too late. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. We thank you so very, very much for the many blessings that you've given to us to fulfill the commission that's given to us. And Father, forgive us, please, where we fail. Maybe we've sometimes thought too small and we've lost confidence. We pray for grace. We pray for courage, for strength, that we may stand for Jesus in, in, the, in front of our enemies, that they may see the truth, that they may be able to make the choice then. And hopefully, because of our testimony and our work and our prayers and the ministry that you do through us, they may be saved. This work begins in our families, friend, you know, and, and amongst our friends and then our neighbors and then the world. So Lord, please give us the, the grace that we need to hasten the return of our Savior. And we may hear those those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of thy rest. We thank you so much for the Sabbath day. We pray that you'll continue to bless us with the presence of holy angels that we may gain a taste of heaven we so need. We thank you that you love us so much and we have the opportunity to be with the redeemed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.